Chapter Fourteen of the Heart's Kingdom by Marie Thompson Davis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Fourteen, Abide with Me. Auntie Charlotte, you stole Minister away from us in a no fair way. Stormed Charlotte as she came around the young larches and wild swamp root that had formed the world apart for the dangerous jaguar and me mother spurlock can't sing to any good and sue is so little we gets the key away from her let him come right back as she made this peremptory demand for the release of my prisoner my name daughter stood her ground with her cohorts who had been scrambling around and over and through the shrubbery massed behind her there were mikey of the red head small james the musical wee susan maudie burns and jenny todd besides several more of the burns family a few sprouls and pains and a very ragged young jones and they all looked at me with hostile and accusing eyes as charlotte hurled a final invective at me you are wicked and the devil will burn you up she threatened he won't neither at all hush up came a defence and a command in a very imperious young voice and the stray followed the voice from around the large trunk of the oldest greybeard he had arrived late on the scene of action because his impedimenta had been the wriggling puppy of brindle who which he immediately released as he came over and stood between the reverend mr goodloe and me with my hand in his own small paddy and defiance and defence to the limit of his high-held young head with its black crest and snapping violet eyes at last i felt charlotte had met her match and i trembled for the result she never stole nothing he further declared looking charlotte full in the eyes i meant she took in him away stranger parlied charlotte with extreme mildness for her and giving to the stray the name that she had decided upon by translating the cognomen of his state into that of another almost equally forlorn my father told my auntie harriet that aunt charlotte would get minister yet and i'll call the devil to stop her if she tries to get him away i'll bust that devil's head with a rock and a bad smell answered the stray as he held tighter to my hand and hurled back his threat that held the remembrance of the conquering of the tenacious turtle auntie harriet answered father that auntie charlotte and the devil could do most anything that small james was contributing to the general assault when with a wave of a calming hand mr goodloe took the field that will do youngsters he commanded with extreme mildness it seemed to me considering the appalling situation i thought you had had about enough practice for to-day and charlotte could have taught the little boy um stranger prompted charlotte you could have taught him up to the point you knew so i could have a nice rest under the lovely trees are you being kind to me and not helping me a little bit you know what you promised me and the beloved minister's voice was just as grave and just as serious as if he had been reproving one of his deacons is talking to auntie charlotte and holding her hand the lord's work demanded charlotte looking him straight in the face yes answered mr goodloe gravely looking her as straight in the eye as she had looked at him then come on stranger and learn to march without any tune but sue she said as she stretched out her hand to the stray who ignored it and clung to me with his serious eyes raised to mine i'll go with you now over in the chapel and play for you on the organ and then we can all teach him said the parson and he picked wee susan the music-box up in his arms and buried his lips in the curls on the back of her fragrant little neck are you all done with auntie charlotte asked young charlotte 
with the extreme of consideration for him, not for my feelings. Yes, for the present, he answered, and he held out his free hand to the stray, who was still clinging to me. Go with him, Sonny, and Mikey will take you home, I said to my small champion, using the tender name that I had heard Martha give him. As I spoke, I laid his hand in that of Mr. Goodloe, and I didn't raise my eyes to his, but turned from them and left him standing in the midst of his flock of lambs, under the silver leaves and out in the bright light, while I went into the cool dark hall, and on up to my own room, which was also cool and dark. "'I am lost and blind, and I don't know what to do,' I murmured, as I flung myself down on my window-seat, and looked through the narrow opening of the shutters, out to the everlasting hills across the valley. I know I am ineffective and perfectly worthless as I am, but I will not, I will not be swayed by— Charlotte? called Father's voice with its commanding note, which had apparently come into it now to stay. Yes, I answered, and went down immediately, glad of the interruption of my self-communion and arraignment. I found Father and Nichols and Mark Morgan and Billy Harvey and Mr. Cockrell down in Father's study, and I could see from their faces that something unusual had happened. City Council voted the appropriation to meet Cockrell's and my donation for the schoolhouse. Contracts have been signed, and dirt is to be broken tomorrow by Henry Todd and thirty workmen Nichols has ordered down from the city. Father announced with jubilation in his voice. We thought Goodloe was here in the garden with you. He was, but he was taking the children with him over to his chapel, I answered, and for some reason I blushed, for I saw Mark Morgan's eyes laughing at me, and I also saw a glint I didn't like in Nicole's eyes. School to be opened on September 12th, and then let the kids fight it out, said Billy. I bet on Charlotte to beat out the whole settlement the first day, if allowed full swing. If Goodloe didn't stand behind this mixing of, of social oil and water, I'd be scared to death said mark mike burns and henry todd and spain had better be afraid of a loss of progeny jared billy i bet charlotte and james and the scions of the sprouls and pains can lead the settlement scions into by-paths of iniquity of which they never dreamed i wish you had ten blast you for being so sensible as to have none mark answered him and i felt rather than saw the bolt of pain that shot through billy's heart it's because Nell and her children are not his that Billy is bad, and what is going to help him? Well, let's go over to the parsonage and tell Goodloe all about it, Father suggested, and the other men followed him out into the garden path that led through the Eden of my foremothers straight into that little Methodist chapel. Only Nicole's remained with me upon the wide, high, vine-shadowed porch. I'll marry you the first of October, Nicole's, and then we can go to France as you want to. I said to him without any preamble, and as I spoke I drew close to him as if for protection from something I didn't understand. Fleeing from the wrath to come? questioned Nichols with a tender jeer, as he took me in his arms and his lips sought the kiss I had been keeping from him. Again I refused it, and he laughed as he pushed me from him, and there was still more of the jeer in the laugh, though the passion in his eyes was devouring and glad. Suppose we go north, right after Mr. Jeffreys has finished his visit. Let's have the ideal village wedding. We'll have out the school children if any are left from the mix-up, and Goodloe can make us man and wife out here under the trees in our own garden. Then we'll go away from the whole show, the Christian religion included, and live happily ever after. And as he spoke, Nicole's again drew me to him, and sought the kiss I still could not give him. Nicole's, Mother Spurlock and poor little Mrs. Burns, and— 
and mr goodloe have something very real that we haven't i faltered and utterly weary i laid my head down against his strong shoulder well that's what they say but they can't prove it they can't pass it on so it mustn't really be anything they are not tightwads so they wouldn't hold back on us with their salvation would they well then they haven't anything it's all just a substitute for love dear mother spurlock fell back on it when she lost her husband the little burns woman wouldn't have it any more than nell has if mike burns was like mark morgan and goodloe would lose it in a week if if he could get you in his arms as nicole spoke his arms about me trembled and strained me to him no i exclaimed as if i had heard blasphemy uttered it is dear it is just suppressed sex the scientists agree on that and all the religions are just that from the most primitive to the most evolved some are more frank about it than others the igorotes when they have their religious dancing at the mating season are more open than the methodists about their being one and the same thing but it all sums up alike you can't get away from those facts then i want to be dead i said as i drew myself from his arm and stood on the edge of the porch or you want to love muttered nicole's under his breath as he watched me sullenly for a second then it's october is it he asked with one of his infectious delicious laughs that have always broken across my serious moods and made them froth yes i answered steadily then we'll tell nell and harriet and jessie and mrs sproul all about it as i see them coming on gossip bent i feel sure he said as he went halfway down the walk to meet the girls before i could restrain him i shall always have with me the picture that nicole's made as he stood tall and handsome and smiling against the background of the wonderful garden he had helped to create with the woman smiling and clinging to him as he looked up at me with a great laughing light in his face in some ways he was the handsomest man i had ever seen and his distinction sat upon him as easily as the collagenness of a boy a wave of race pride and love swept up in my heart as i looked at him and i felt that in him must be the refuge that i sought his sophistries always sank deep into me charlotte my dear said mrs sproul as i led her to a seat beneath the vines in a shady corner i wish i was sure that your mother knew of this safe happiness of yours she adored nichols and nothing could have given her a greater joy and my dear for you to have held him against the world as it were is a triumph i assure you always remember that men of his kind are are desirable i have a long talk with you before you go away with him and i didn't know why but the smile with which mrs Sproul whispered and patted my hands made me burn all over with protest i wouldn't have you for a husband unless we were both convicted together to a chain-gang for at least five years after the ceremony nichols powers said harriet with a laugh for which nichols raised her hand to his lips as he responded you like husbands in safety deposit vaults don't you harriet at which sally they all laughed as they seated themselves around mrs Sproul and me why will women want husbands to be as stationary as as hitching posts mrs Sproul? demanded nichols as he leaned against one of the tall pillars and lighted a cigarette for himself after having lighted one for her and jessie jessie lytton had always smoked in secret until the last year or two and mrs Sproul had frankly taken up the habit as a comfort for old age she insisted i suspect that she had had it for a long time in advance of the fashion it was a real delicious sight to see the old-world grace with which she accomplished it women have the nestling habit and that is why they want to believe men to be sturdy oaks 
in whose branches they can safely anchor a family, as well as twine around in their affectionate gourd fashion, answered Mrs. Sproul, as she daintily puffed a smoke ring at Nicole's. A lot of times the gourd vine grows so strong that she doesn't realize she is supporting her family by her own strength, long after the oak has faded away in her coils and sprouted up from an acorn in some other locality, said Jessie, as she too puffed a ring of smoke in Nicole's direction. Is this agriculture, biology, or religion we are discussing? demanded Harriet with a laugh, as we all rose and went to the edge of the porch to meet Billy and Mark and Father, who had with them the beloved minister. "'Congratulations and condolences, Mr. Powers,' said Mrs. Sproul, as she laid her hand in Father's. "'On what score, my dear madam?' he demanded. "'You know I asked for Charlotte on my fifteenth and her tenth birthday, Judge,' Nicole said, with his ready grace in any situation, and he came and stood beside Father, and took his hand in his, with the gentle affection a girl might have shown the older man. "'You said yes then, and it has taken all these years to make her echo the word.' and as he finished speaking, he held out his arm, and drew me close to father and himself. "'Hurrah!' exclaimed Mark, but I saw him exchange a glance of amusement with Harriet, and Nell gave him a warning little squeeze of the arm. "'Bless you both!' said father, as he gave us both a hug. All this I saw and noted before I raised my eyes to meet the jewelled eyes, under dull gold that I knew were gazing straight at me, as Gregory Goodloe stood in the background against a dark vine, while the rejoicings over the announcement of my betrothal were enacted. Somehow I felt I could not make myself face their gaze, which yet I knew I must. I met a flash that burned down into the very darkest spot in my nature, and illuminated them all. There was not a trace of male anger or demand in the gaze, but a cold valuation of me and the entire situation that burned me as ice burns raw flesh. Then over all of us there suddenly poured from the same source a tenderness that was as radiant as the summer sun. "'Yes, God bless us all!' he exclaimed, as he held out his hands to all of us, one of which Nicole's took, with a swift challenging glance that in the radiance softened to confidence, and the other father took and fairly clung to in his happiness. I was glad, glad that I didn't have to endure the touch of his hand on mine after that glance, but not for one instant did my heart accuse his radiance of being dramatics. I rather felt that it came from a warmth within him, by which everybody else in the world might be comforted, but for which I would for ever be cold. "'I want to be worth her, old man,' Nicole said to him with a curious pleading note in his voice, and he, too, seemed to me to be clinging to some of the strength that was not for me. "'Then God help you,' was the answer given with the very essence of gentleness, but with a level glance into Nicole's eyes that was profoundly sad. "'And now let's hear the wedding plans,' demanded Harriet. "'This marrying and giving in marriage is the best way I know of to make time pass, and let's make Charlotte give us full measure. I'm matron of honour, of course, and I suggest only twelve bridesmaids. I intend to be preceded to the altar by Sue, in an embroidered silk muslin I will provide, with a bonnet of tulle in which nestles a pink rose to match the ones in her basket.' There will also be a display of pink knees that will be ravishing, and— Just let me remind you, Harriet, that this is Charlotte's wedding and not that of my daughter Susan, and her often-mentioned knees, said Mark with a laugh that they all echoed. I am going to marry Susan's pink knees when they are ripe, remarked Billy, and his suppression lasted long enough for me to attain command enough of myself to manage the plans of my own wedding. Later, when they had all gone by way of the chapel to help Mr. Goodloe decide on some designs, for a memorial window to his father, 
he was having made by a great artist he and Nichols had elected, I went in to make my announcement to Mammy and Debney. "'We'll ram in the coke to the demijohn, honey, and it'll be all right,' was Debney's semi-cordial consent, but Mammy went on industriously beating her biscuits for supper, the one hundred and twenty licks prescribed by her reputation as a cook, and her conscientious guarding of the same reputation. "'What do you say, Mammy?' I insisted on her giving her opinion. "'Of course, if you want to eat plain biscuits instead of the showbread from before the mercy seat. One hundred and two, one hundred and three. was the answer given between the licks upon the white dough, and I fled before I should get a clearer manifestation of the disappointment I felt raging in her faithful old heart. That night a young crescent moon was hung over the very crown of all Harpeth, as I threw the shutters of my window wide to the night-breeze, after I had put out my light, and was ready for bed. I stood in its soft light, and looked across the dark mass of the chapel opposite, and saw that a dim light was still burning from the window by the organ-loft. And as I stood and looked, the empty place that I had felt in the very centre of my heart grew colder, and more bleak, until suddenly across the garden on perfumed waves of sound, came the Tristan love-song, and filled my emptiness with a pain that was both hot and cold. I stood and let the flood dash over me, as long as I could, and then, with a sob, I sank on the floor and rested my head on the window-seat, and began to weep as only women such as I know how to weep. Then into my sorrow, very quietly there again, stole another strain after the Tristan song had sobbed away into the night, and suddenly my own weeping was stilled, and again something within me was healed, by the great tender voice singing out in the darkness beyond the hedge. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, help of the helpless, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I cried, and sobbed myself to sleep on my pillow, after I had watched the light across the garden go out, and after all in the little parsonage beyond the hedge was dark and quiet. End of chapter 14